So it has been, I was doing the math, it has been 105 days since we last gathered like this. That's like a third of a year. It is way too long. And man, just, I've waited for this day. I've, I, I couldn't say, you know, count it down to the day because we never knew when this would happen. But I've been waiting for this for so long. Um, I can't tell you how excited I am to be back with you, to be able to see you. I'm thankful for Zoom, but it is just not the same at all. This is so good and so right. Uh, you guys have been prayed for more than you could ever know. Uh, you guys are loved more than you ever know, and I'm just excited to be back. So if you had been with us uh, before this, normally we'd be in another room and there'd be tables around, and we would all be circled around tables for discussion. And the way the, the normal lesson goes is there's a little bit of teaching, and then we turn it over to discussion, five, six minutes, and then back to teaching, and we kind of go back and forth. But because of, there's no tables, and this is a unique environment, here's how we're going to do discussion. We're getting ready to do our first question. If you want to kind of bunch together uh, with folks that you know that are around you, and in two rows, back to back, if you just want to turn and talk to one another, and if there's more than seven or eight people in a group, split into two groups, and then you can come back together. So it's going to be awkward. We're going to feel this out. We're going to kind of learn the experience. But that way, everybody makes sure there's part of uh, normal and informative discussion. And so here's what I want us to talk about for the first bit. Because it's been so long since we've gathered together, talk about what has changed in your life in the last 105 days. Give updates. And if this is your first time, just update people what's gone on in the last 105 days. So what's happened in the last 105 days? Let's discuss that together. Kind of find groups right around you. Maybe turn your chairs if you need to. And then we'll come back in about five minutes. It's going to feel really weird at first, but we'll kind of, we'll get used to this. So, okay. In the last 105 days, uh, like I said, it's been 105 days since we met last. It feels in many ways like the whole world has changed. This just feels so different, not only because of location, but for many of us, like, nationally, culturally, even personally, we've experienced a ton of change. I mean, we're talking historic global pandemic that ushers in a quarantine and a national recession. And even personally, many of you have experienced job loss, sickness, death, hardship, all of that in your own lives. And so in many ways, there's been so much change. And yet, God's word is still just as relevant in our lives today as it ever was. And in the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be going through a book that I think is particularly relevant for all of the craziness that's going on, and that's the book of James. So if you have your Bibles, turn or tap with me to James chapter 1, James chapter 1. And while you're turning there, let me give you just a little bit of context. The book of James was written by James of Jerusalem, which is Jesus' half-brother. James was a former skeptic who later came to believe that Jesus was Lord after seeing Jesus following his resurrection, which that in itself is a powerful apologetic for the truth of who Jesus is. Because think about it, what would it take for you to believe that your sibling was the son of God or daughter of God, if there was such a thing? I mean, it would take something incredible. I mean, I love my sister to death, but she is not God incarnate. (laughs) Um, And I'm not either, so... But it would take something like seeing uh, someone rise from you know, a crucified death to believe that. And that's exactly what James witnessed. So James became a servant of the Lord, as he tells us in verse 1. Uh, it's a powerful apologetic for the truth of Christianity. James tells us the audience of his letter in the very first verse of the book. In James 1.1, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. So James is writing to a group of Jewish Christians in the dispersion. 
And that's just a fancy word that means that these Jewish Christians are living outside of the boundaries of the city of Jerusalem. And so they are scattered all about. They are facing deep religious persecution. Many of them are really impoverished, and life is incredibly difficult for them. And so James is writing to encourage them and to instruct them in this letter. So with that context in mind, let's dive into our passage tonight. We're going to read the first four verses of James and also verse 12. It says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then skip down to verse 12. Blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has, sh- has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. In imagining what it would have been like or what it might have been like to be one of the original recipients of the letter of James, uh, Pastor Sinclair Ferguson kind of has this humorous and exaggerated example of what that would have been like receiving the letter. So imagine this. Imagine a family in the dispersion. The husband comes home from work. And he grabs the mail on the way in the house. His wife greets him with a kiss as he comes to the front door, and his kids meet him with hugs and excitement. As the man sits down at the table and he opens the letter, his wife and kids gather around him with excitement to see what the letter has to say. They're really excited to hear this. This, The husband has hardly opened the letter, and the kids are already anxiously asking, Dad, Dad, what's he saying? What's he saying? You know, And the dad chuckles and says, Hang on, hang on. I haven't even hardly opened the letter yet. He begins to read the letter out loud. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Immediately, the wife snatches the letter out of her husband's hands. Count it all joy. How can he possibly say that? How can he tell us to count it all joy while we're in a time like this? How could he possibly do that? I imagine that for many of you, you might have had a similar reaction, and maybe you did have the same reaction as you hear James open up his letter. How could God possibly tell us to count it all joy when we encounter trials of incredible weight in our days between a pandemic and racial tension and national upheaval and sickness and job loss and pain? And yet that's exactly what James is saying, to count it all joy when we encounter trials. So what does he mean? Now, to be clear, James is not saying that we should rejoice in the actual trials themselves. He's not telling us to be happy about death or job loss or sickness and hurt. He's not saying that at all. We should not rejoice over the brokenness of the world. We should lament the brokenness and pain in our world. So James is not trying to minimize or make light of the hurt and hardship people are experiencing. Instead, he's actually taking hardship extremely seriously, as I think you'll see. Our job tonight is to figure out exactly what James means. And to do that, we're going to be asking ourselves two questions, and then we're going to answer those questions. Why can we count it all joy when we encounter trials? That's question number one. And how can we count it all joy when we encounter trials? Why and how can we count it all joy when we encounter trials in the world? We're going to spend most of our time on the why, and then we're going to move to the how 
at the end. So let's begin with that first question. Why can we count it all joy when we encounter trials of various kinds? In order to understand why we can count it joy in trials, we actually have to understand what the word trials means. The Greek word used for trials is parosmos, which means either trial or temptation. It could be either one depending on the context. And I think James actually really does mean both. And throughout the book of James, he's going to use the term interchangeably to mean either temptation or trial. And to be clear, he's not just saying one specific temptation. So when we talk about the context about religious persecution and poverty, he doesn't just mean those trials. He means trials of various kinds. So trials of all possible kinds, temptations of all possible kinds. So this could be something as small as a trial of a chip nail or a flat tire or the temptation to look at pornography or cheating on your homework or the trial of job loss, depression, or a cancer diagnosis. We encounter trials and temptations all of the time, and each of these is what James has in mind here. So, here's what I want us to do for our next discussion. In order for us to be able to apply this message and not just you know, have it float in the clouds, we actually have to be thinking of trials that we are either going through in this moment or we have recently gone through. Otherwise, we won't be able to apply this at all. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do in your groups. I'm going to ask you just to talk briefly about a trial or temptation you are either enduring now or have recently endured. And I know that for some of you, you don't know all the people in your group. I'm not asking you to to share your deepest secrets. At least, at the very least, have those in your mind. But just talk about, even it could be minor, what is a trial or temptation you are enduring right now or you have recently endured? So talk about that in your groups, and then we'll come back together. All right, let's, let's bring it back in. Let's bring it back in. So now that we've identified some trials, and like I said, even if you didn't get shared out loud, have that in your mind so you can apply this. Now we can think about why is it that we can count facing those trials joy. James explains to us in the following verses, verses 2 to 4. He says, again, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet the trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, James is telling us that we can count it all joy when we encounter trials, because in trials, our faith is tested, and that testing produces growth and strength and maturity in our faith. And when our faith grows, we find more rest and more joy in God himself. We're able to fall deeper in love with God himself. God is ultimately what we need, and trials test us so we can fall deeper in love with Jesus. We can grow in our relationship with him. God himself and God alone is the only one that can satisfy us perfectly. He's the only one that can give us true rest. Not school, not social media, not food, not sex, not marriage, not children, not video games, not friends, not fame, not the affirmation of people you look up to or anything else. Only God can truly satisfy us. Only God can truly provide for us. Only God can give us the love that we ultimately need. Only God can give us the joy that we seek. And the way we find that rest and joy and satisfaction is through a relationship with God. The deeper we fall in love with God, the deeper our relationship with him gets, the more rest and satisfaction we will have. So, How can we deepen our relationship with God? Again, James tells us through trials and temptations. So when we face trials and temptations, we are given an opportunity to trust God to provide, to satisfy, to protect, and to care for us. When we face trials and temptations, we are given an opportunity to watch God come through and deepen our trust 
in him. And deeper trust leads to deeper satisfaction and deeper joy. This principle is going to be true with any relationship. Think of the strongest marriages you know. If you were to talk to those couples, the couples in the strongest marriages you've seen, about how they lasted and deepened their love for one another, they will tell you that it was during the trials and the hardships that they grew in trust and love for one another the most. And they endure those trials together because they know that it's worth it, because their marriage is worth it to endure the trials and the temptations. I mean, think about your relationship with your best friends. You all have built trust and affection for one another because you've endured hardship and trials together. And you endure those hardship and trials because you think the friendship is worth it. The goal is worth the hardship. I mean, this, if you like working out, this, this principle is true in fitness. You think about it. When you work out, you never encounter real resistance. If you never encounter real resistance, you won't get stronger. If you're always just lifting with the bar or you're with the lightest dumbbells, you're never going to get stronger. It's only when you really push yourself and you lift with heavy weights and you encounter resistance that you will actually get stronger. You push yourself to the limit because you think that encountering resistance is worth it if you're going to get healthier and stronger in the end. Think about it. Uh, Women experience this all the time with childbirth. Childbirth is an incredibly painful process. It's a long, drawn-out process. There's nausea. There's pain. Your body totally changes. And yet, if you talk to most women about it, they're just excited to have the child. They they can endure the pain because the end (laughs) goal is worth it. Uh, For for most of you that that want children... your thought isn't first about the pain of pregnancy. You know it's there, but ultimately, you're just excited because you know that the end goal is worth it. The child is worth it for all that you would go through. And people have multiple children, so it tells you that they're willing to go through the pain multiple times because it's worth it. Or they're surprised. Or, surprise. yeah, or they're surprised, too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which, just like trials and temptations. <laughs> so we see this principle all of the time in our lives. The end goal of persevering through trials and temptations is to love God more and to be more satisfied in him. All of the trials of the world are worth it if we get God. In fact, trials are one of the primary means that we're pushed to love and find rest in God more. Again, all of the trials in the world will be worth it. The the moment you step to heaven, you see Jesus face to face, it doesn't matter what you face, it will have been worth it. It will have been worth it. And that's why Paul can say in Romans 8.18, that he considers that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And again, James affirms this in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test that he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Christians have affirmed this all throughout church history. An example of this we can see in a man named Samuel Rutherford. He was a Scottish pastor from uh, the 1600s. And in 1630, in the midst of the recent death of his wife, while he was being plagued by brutal sickness, Rutherford uh, is contacted by a Christian woman who is asking why God couldn't give her an easier life. And this is what Rutherford says to the woman. And all I've done is modernize his words. We may ask, surely God can bring me to heaven with ease and prosperity, right? And of course, who doubts that he can? But in God's infinite wisdom, he has chosen another way. And we can't see the reason for why he's done so. But here's what we can know. That God has a good and right reason for it. Just because we can't see God's reasons doesn't mean they're not there. We've never, ever seen our own soul with our own eyes, and yet we know we have a soul. 
We see many rivers, but we don't know where their initial spring is at. And yet we know they have a beginning somewhere. Madam, when you've come to the other side of the water, and you've set your foot down on the shore of glorious eternity in heaven, and you look back to the waters and to the path of your wearisome journey, you will finally get a clear glimpse of God's wisdom and reasons. And when you get that clear view of God's glorious plan, you will be forced to say, if God had worked another way with me than he has done, I never would have come to enjoy this crown of glory in heaven. Madam, right now, it is your part to believe and suffer and hope and wait. But what you are enduring now is not the end. It will be worth it. In fact, I contend in the presence of God, who knows what I write and what I think, that all of the most bitter afflictions are worth it if I get to experience the sweet consolation of Jesus. Whether God comes to his children with a rod or a crown, if he himself comes to them, all is well. Welcome, welcome Jesus, whatever way he comes, if I can get a sight of him. And he closes with this. I'm sure it is better to be sick if Christ comes to the bedside and draws the curtains and says, Courage, I am your salvation, than it is to enjoy health and be strong and full of energy and yet never to be visited by God himself. Imagine, I mean, if you're Samuel Rutherford going through all of this pain, your wife has just passed away, you're going through a sickness that you think at the time is going to lead to your death, and yet you're willing to give this counsel to a hurting Christian that if we had more context, we would know that it really wasn't that big of a thing she was going through. And yet he is able to have utter joy in the midst of hardship. That is a striking word. Despite encountering unspeakable trials, Samuel Rutherford could count it all joy because he knew that through these trials, he would have opportunities to deepen his love for God and his joy in God. Rutherford knew this secret, that he was experiencing these trials not for pointless or just random painful reasons as interruptions in his life. No, he was experiencing them because they were invitations to deeper intimacy with God. So maybe you've struggled with your faith in this last season, and maybe God feels distant in the midst of those trials. And maybe that's led you to to read your Bible less, or maybe not at all, or to pray less, or maybe not at all. But what if, instead of immediately questioning God when you encounter a trial, you realize that God is actually giving you an invitation to deeper intimacy with him? That God is not pushing you away when a trial comes. He's actually asking you to come in closer. That would change the way we handle trials. So that leads us to our second question. We know why we can encounter trials with all joy and count it all joy. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Again, while there's so many things we could say of how to encounter trials and count it all joy, I just want us to touch on three brief things. Three brief things. Number one, we need to change our mindset about trials. We live in a culture which is a secular culture that... Basically, our lives are a pursuit of pleasure. Now, that doesn't mean people are just going around living as hedonists all the time, but essentially, in a secular worldview, you are pursuing pleasure, and pain is just an interruption that seems meaningless and pointless. But that's not true for us. That's not true at all. Again, trials can actually be invitations to deeper intimacy with God. But here's another thing we need to think about when it comes to changing our mindset. One big way we can change our mindset is just to actually expect trials. A lot of times we go through life and we're just shocked every time we come across a hardship. 
And again, that's not to say we should expect the specific hardships we encounter, but we should know that throughout our lives we are going to encounter hard things. That's why James in verse 2, he doesn't say if you encounter trials. He says when you encounter trials. He's a realist. Trials will surely come. And sometimes, again, we can be surprised by them, but we shouldn't be. Again, we may not know the exact trials we will face, but if we expect to face trials, then we can be much more prepared when they come. We will face trials at every single stage of life. Many of us are facing trials right now in a season with school. We have finals if you're taking some some summer classes. There's lots of homework. There's struggles with singleness and more. After college, many will face trials of finding a job, and then once they find the job, they have to adjust into a workplace. Maybe their boss is a loser and really hard to work for, and that's hard. Maybe you're totally adjusting to a new culture. It's going to be really hard. Maybe you get married in a year or two, and then your, your woes of singleness may, may go away, but you have trials of marriage too. Marriage is really, really hard to live with another human being all the time. How do you load the dishwasher? There's a fight ready to come. It's already going to be a trial. Marriage is really difficult. Then you have kids. A lot of sleepless nights, lots of pain. Maybe there's a bad diagnosis with a child. Then parenting is just really difficult. You're trying to figure it out for the first time. Potty training sucks. A lot of trials. You, they, they get older in their teenage years, and they think they know everything. Some of us here think, I think we still know everything. Uh, that's a trial in itself. Then your kids go to college, and you're trying to figure out how to pay. And then you go into to work, and you have a midlife crisis in your 40s and 50s. And then you retire. You're trying to wonder, can you live without a, an incoming income? Uh, what are you going to do? You're keeping care of aging parents. You're having health issues. In just every stage of life, there will be trials. We should expect them. Now, I'm not saying that just to ruin your day, like in the midst of a pandemic. <laughs> I'm saying that because we, we know it intellectually, but, but yet we just don't think about it enough to, to expect those things. And if we expect that they will come at every stage in life, we can be prepared. Because rather than just being pointless interruptions, like non-Christian friends have to say they are, those are invitations to deeper intimacy with God. And at every single point in those trials, we get to know God in a new way. You can almost think of it like a sculptor. Um, Imagine, he's making a statue and he starts out with this big block. And at first, there's going to be times where he's working on a part of the body and he has to knock off huge chunks of rock. Well, think about that as a huge trial in our lives. And you can start to see the shape forming and he's going to hit from different angles. But sometimes it's just little things, just to to knock off a little bit here and, and make a fine edge here. We have the same thing. And over time, God is shaping us into the image of his son. He's shaping us to be more like him. And even though it would be incredibly painful in the moment, if we could stand back in the scope of eternity, we would see this beautiful thing that God is forming us into. We can trust God in the trials because he is making something in us in the midst of it all. Another change in mindset we have to think about is being allow, allowing other people to be able to speak in to our trials. Of course, no human knows our experience, and of course no human knows the specific trials we're going through, but that doesn't mean no one can speak to our situation. God himself knows our trials better than we do, and he still tells us to rejoice. If our consistent first response to trial and pain is to doubt God and to doubt his goodness and ask why this is happening, then our hearts aren't in the right place to be able to endure a trial, because you're going to encounter that at every phase of life. By the time you figure something out, a new trial is going to come along. And so rather than us facing those trials, we need to let God to be able to speak into our lives through our word, through preaching, through worship, through trusted mentors and friends. And to say, God, I have no idea what you're doing in this situation, but I'm trusting that you're using it to draw me to yourself. The vital truth we have to know 
when we face trials is that even though we may not understand all that God is doing in the midst of a trial, we can know this fact. We never experience trials because God doesn't love us. That is never the reason. God gave up his very own son for you and I. So when we encounter a trial, we can already just throw out that God doesn't love us. That's why we're encountering it. Throw that out. Don't even let that come into your mind because it's not true. If God would give up his very son for you, more than all of the universe is worth, then you encountering a trial is not because he doesn't love you. And in fact, you can trust that he's going to do something through it. You can trust that he would do something through it. Paul reminds us this, again, in Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If you are a Christian, God will turn all things, including all trials, for your good and his glory. That's the proclamation of Romans 8, 28. And here's the deal. Romans 8, 28 is not meant to be a verse slapped in a coffee mug. It's not just meant to be thrown out in a trite situation, uh, anything like that. Romans 8, 28 is a verse that contains some of the deepest theology in all the Bible and is a bedrock of hope for us that are Christians. God really will make all things work for the good of those who love him, and nothing can possibly change that. We can rest in that. Again, it's easy to question God's goodness in the basis of our circumstances when trial comes. But we have to have the right mindset. If you are a Christian, again, we can be tempted when a really hard trial comes to question God's goodness. But when we do that, based on the circumstances we see, we're not actually making an accurate judgment of the situation. And that's hard because when something really tough comes, all we can see is the urgency in front of us. And so that's all we can judge the situation on. But in fact, if we were to have an eternal perspective, everything changes. When you consider the full breadth of your reality, God's goodness actually comes to the fore. It's not questioned. Our fullest and truest circumstances are this. If we are saved in Christ, then we are guaranteed an infinite and all-satisfying inheritance that will never, ever fade. We will be with God forever in joy, and nothing can take that away from us no matter what comes, no matter the trial. The Bible assures us that in every single bit of pain that we experience in this life, every bit of temptation, that it will be turned for our good and His glory. And when we consider those circumstances, we don't have to question God's goodness anymore. That's the real reality. And that changes everything about our mindset. Hopelessness is literally impossible for Christians. That may sound like a ridiculous claim, but when you consider full reality, hopelessness is literally impossible. Because Jesus has experienced the worst that we could ever experience at the cross. And the best thing that we could ever experience is guaranteed and still awaits us. So no matter what comes, we always have hope. How would our mindset and attitude change if we had those circumstances in mind? So I've been talking a lot. I want to let you discuss more. Here's what I want you to talk about in your groups. What is your typical mindset? Be honest about this. What is your typical mindset when you encounter trials and temptations? And how would the truths we've just talked about and that change in mindset change the way you encounter those trials? So how do you typically encounter trials? What's your mindset? And then how would the truths we just talked about change your mindset? Would it change your mindset of the trials that you are already in right now that you already talked about? Talk about that in your groups for four or five minutes. And we'll come back. All right, let's bring it back in. Let's bring it back in.
So the next way that we can see how to count it all joy, the next way we can see the how to count it all joy is this. So first we need to change mindset. And now I want us to talk about clinging to God's promises, clinging to God's promises. And we see a beautiful example of this again in Samuel Rutherford's life. So shortly after his letter to the woman that we read earlier, Samuel Rutherford went on to offer consolation to a different woman who had just lost a young child. And here's the kicker. It wasn't the first child this woman had lost. She had lost several children. Um, I had no children alive at the time. And in the midst of her pain, Rutherford encourages her to cling to the promises of God. And he says this, All of the comforts and promises and mercies God offers to the afflicted are like love letters written specially to you. Rutherford goes on to describe the promises of God, the specific promises of God to hurting people by using this analogy. He says it's like someone has written a letter to a family and the, the letter's being read out loud, but only a couple people are named explicitly. So like, of course, the letter's addressed to everyone, but there are some people that are explicitly addressed by name. And that's like what God does in his promises to the brokenhearted, his promises to people. Yes, the Bible's for everyone, but if you're in a trial right now, God has written these love letters specifically for you in his word, in his promises. Again, yes, scripture's written to everyone, but you can view those promises as love letters written especially to you. He has given us his promises so that we can rest in them, we can trust, and we can have deeper joy in him. So if you're a note taker, I encourage you, write some of these references down and go look them up later. I'm just going to read, I could read hundreds if I wanted to, but I'm just going to read a few of God's promises in his word for people in different trials and temptations. Psalm 147.3 says this, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Isaiah 57.15, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I will dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is a contrite of, of heart and lowly of spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 1 Peter 5.17, Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Psalm 34, 17 and 18 says this, When the righteous cry out for help to God, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus speaking. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then the classic, Revelation 21, 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And we could go on and on and on. We can cling to these promises. They are sure and steady and unchanging. God is faithful to his word. And these truths can help us have hope in the midst of our pain. Both hope that God is with us, but also hope that the world will not always be this way. One day, there will be no more trials. One day, we will never have to face another temptation or trial again. Finally, how how can we count it all joy? 
Pray for God's help and sustenance. Pray for God's help and sustenance. And here's the key. God may not answer your prayer as you expect, but know this. You would answer your prayers exactly as God has if you knew everything he knew. Let me say that one more time. You would answer your prayers exactly as God has if you knew everything he knew. Trust in God's goodness. Pray his promises back to him and go to him in prayer. So, uh, how can we see this lived out? How can we see this modeled? Look to Christian mentors. Look to loved ones that are older in the faith. But if you're at PV, we have a pretty clear example of this right now. There's a family that is living this out better than almost anyone. They're counting it all joy and circumstances. Some of you already probably know where I'm going. Mike and Stacy Daniels are faithful members here at PV. They've got five daughters. And a while back, Mike was diagnosed with brain cancer. And he has fought cancer with all of his might, and he sought out some of the best medical care. But recently, the doctors delivered the heartbreaking diagnosis that the medical care wasn't working and that Mike wouldn't have very much longer to live. That in itself is an unspeakable trial. But the trials kept on coming. Just a couple weeks ago, Mike's, one of Mike's daughters, Kylie, who just graduated high school, had a seizure. And initially, the doctors thought that the seizure was the result of extreme stress and trauma just from dealing with everything with her dad. But after doing some tests, they discovered a growth on her brain. And it turns out that it's pretty similar to her father's. By worldly standards, the Daniels family has every reason to be bitter, to be angry. We wouldn't fault them for that a bit. And yet that's not how they're reacting. Not at all. They are showing us what it means to count it all joy in all the trials that we face. Just, just think about this, and I could give so many more examples. For example, Stacy, Mike's wife, has shared her reflections on social media, just of everything that's happened throughout the journey. If you were to go read through them, I encourage you to do it. It is filled with faith like you wouldn't believe. I mean, oh my goodness, it is, it is first class in what it means to trust God in the trial. It is beautiful. And she continues to point people back to Jesus in every single post. Mike himself has leveraged his sickness to share the gospel with person after person after person. Just last week, Mike's place of employment through a retirement party for him. And usually at these kind of parties, you know, they, they give somebody the mic, and most people will kind of talk about their experiences and tell, you know, stories from the field, but Mike wasn't going to do that. This man that, that has trouble walking, has almost no energy because of the sickness, got up there and shared the gospel with all of his heart and might to tons and tons of people. And there are people that are coming to Christ because of his testimony, not only there, but just as they've watched him live out his faith and count every trial a joy. And Kylie, she's modeled this beautifully too. Well, she was in the hospital after a seizure, trying to reckon not only with everything that's going on with her dad, distress in her own family, and trying to figure out a really heartbreaking diagnosis too, and lots of uncertainty. Kylie is sitting there asking nurses how she can pray for them. That's not how I would react. I'd be down in the dumps. And yet, here's this girl facing all of the trials in the world, and her first thought is, I want to ask that nurse how I can pray for her. That is how you count it all joy in trials. But of course, they didn't just learn that on their own. 
They learned it from someone who did this perfectly, who faced even greater trials. Jesus faced the greatest trials of all, including a literal one before Pontius Pilate, and yet he still had joy. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He chose joy in the trials because he knew the why and the how. He knew that by counting it all joy in the trial of the cross, when he took on the punishment we deserve for our sins, when he took our place in the cross, he knew that he would secure a way for us to have hope in trials, for us to be with God, for us to be able to love God and be right with him. And if we would place our faith in that Jesus, we could be right with God. We could have hope in every single trial we could ever face. And if you don't know this Jesus, oh my goodness, you're in about the best place you could be in. Anybody here would love to talk to you about him. And I want to pray to him right now. Let's pray. God, we thank you that no matter what, we have hope because of Jesus. God, that no matter the trials we face, no matter the hardships we face, we can have hope because Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And God, I pray that you would use our trials and our temptations to lead other people to you because they would see that we're not responding with bitterness and anger, but we're responding with hope and love and joy and peace. God, yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be painful. And we're not trying to minimize that a bit. But God, help us to rely on you, that you would be our strength. God, that you would use our trials to show us where we're being self-reliant, that we could turn and rely more on you. And God, when we rest in you, that we have strength to endure every trial until the day the trials are no more. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for Jesus and what he did for us at the cross. And it's in his name we pray, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Let's stand and worship.